This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. So one core impulse of the Reformation was to get back to the basics of our faith. Wearied and angered by the abuses and excesses of the medieval church, Luther longed to return to the simple yet sure foundations of a life grounded in God's word. Sola Scriptura thus became a rallying cry for the Reformers as they sought to reclaim the Bible, to translate it into the vernacular language the people could understand, and to put it in their hands where it belonged. No longer reliant on the clergy to tell them what the Bible said, the people could now read it for themselves. Our faith, Luther argued, is not an allegiance to an institutional church bent on grabbing and maintaining power, but rather it is a trust in the God of the Bible, a God whose story is told in Scripture, a God who wants nothing more than to make us a part of that story, a God who, in the words of Jeremiah, desires even to write God's story on our hearts. But in order to be a part of God's covenantal story, Luther insisted, we must first know it, which means opening our Bible, reading it, and becoming familiar with the promises God makes there. And so, in honor of Reformation Sunday, and in tribute to Luther's legacy as a great teacher of a biblical faith, I thought I might spend just a few minutes this morning teaching some of the basics of the covenantal theology that Jeremiah alludes to in our first lesson. You can call it a 10-minute crash course in Biblical Theology 101. Fasten your seatbelts. Here goes. There are five major promises God makes with his people in the Bible. These are called covenants, which is just a fancy theological word for promises that form the basis of a relationship. The first covenant God makes is with Noah. After Adam and Eve make a complete mess of things in the Garden of Eden, undermining God's good creation, bringing violence and enmity into the world, and leading to its destruction in the Great Flood, God makes an unconditional promise to Noah, the one righteous man left on earth, 
to start all over again and give humanity a second chance. And in so doing, God promises he will forevermore protect humanity and creation from destruction, which he seals with the sign of a rainbow. See Genesis chapter 8. The second covenant God makes is with Abraham and Sarah. Just a little later, a few chapters later in the book of Genesis, God calls this old and barren couple out of their retirement years in Haran and promises them against all odds that they will become parents to a sacred family, a family that God promises will become a great nation, a light indeed to all nations, and that God will also lead them to a new home, the promised land. This is covenant number two in the Bible. As the book of Genesis ends, however, God's new family, which now extends from Abraham through Isaac to Jacob and his sons, this new family finds itself in a heap of trouble, having become enslaved in the land of Egypt. Yet God does not abandon them. Hearing their cries, God raises up a great prophet, Moses, to lead this sacred family out of slavery in Egypt, through the wilderness, and toward a better life. And along the way, God makes a third covenant with his people, giving them a moral law, or Torah, as a basic guidebook for community life, a foundation for the people's relationship with God and each other. The books of Exodus and Deuteronomy tell the story of this third Mosaic covenant. Okay, we're up to three. God's people eventually find their way to the promised land, but their efforts to create and sustain a holy and healthy community are constantly thwarted both by their own unfaithfulness and by the warring ways of their neighbors. And so the fourth covenant God makes is to give his people a king, David. In so doing, God promises to make David a great and just king with the hope that he can be a good and faithful shepherd over God's people. The Davidic experiment works for a short while, but ultimately falls apart as both David and the people prove unable on their own to live into the ways of God. And so, as part of this same fourth covenant, God makes an additional commitment to raise up a descendant from David's line to be a future Messiah who will not fail because he will be God's own son. The two books of Samuel and the Psalms attest to this Davidic covenant. And then comes the fifth and ultimate covenant. God gives us a son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect fulfillment of all the prior covenants, more righteous than Noah, more faithful than Abraham, Jesus is obedient to the will of his Father, even to the point of death. Likewise, Jesus is the greater Moses, leading not just the Hebrew people, but all of humanity out of the bondage of sin. Jesus not only follows God's word, but flawlessly embodies it. 
He is also the royal heir of David's lineage, and in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus inaugurates not just a human kingdom, but a divine one, reigning as the one true king over all of creation. Jesus perfectly succeeds at every point where humanity had previously failed. With this new and final covenant, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who trust in Jesus can become a part of God's eternal covenantal family. There you go. That's the history of salvation as told through the five major covenants of the Bible. There will be a quiz next week. <laughs> but there's more. God's covenantal story not only has a past, it has a future. And to truly celebrate the Reformation is not only to look back to our biblical foundations, but also to look forward to the future, to where God's promises are calling us, to the creation of a new Jerusalem. You see, contrary to popular belief, the Christian faith is not otherworldly. It is very much this-worldly. It is all about bringing God's kingdom into reality in and through the gathered body of Christ on earth. Recall the words of our Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is not so much some faraway place separate and apart from this world as it is a slowly emerging reality in our very midst. The kingdom of God, as Jesus often said, is upon us. And so is a core part of the new covenant that's now inscribed on our hearts. Jesus invites his disciples, he invites you and me, to organize ourselves around an unlikely but ultimately life-giving new set of kingdom values, the gifts of the Spirit, things like humility, peacemaking, purity, a detachment from material things, perseverance in the face of adversity, a passion for justice, and a keen sensitivity to those who suffer by faithfully creating communities built upon these values, we can give the world at least a glimpse of what is to come. To view the life of faith this way is to see that everything that we do in our day-to-day -day lives matters. It matters because our actions are contributing pieces to the broader jigsaw puzzle of God's promise for a new world. We may not ever get to see how the whole puzzle fits together, at least not in this life. But if we have faith in God's providential design, then we can confidently believe that our little jigsaw bits, no matter how small, will eventually help to bring God's picture into focus. Every single act of love, gratitude, and kindness we extend to another, every work of art or music we create, 
Every dollar we contribute to help the needy, every minute we share with our children and grandchildren, delighting in the wonders of this world, every act of care and comfort for an aging friend, all of these things, all of these things will find their way into God's promise of a renewed world if we but have the faith to be a part of God's ongoing work of renewal and reform. In short, my friends, one of the glories of the Reformation was to remind us that our past, our present, and our future are all revealed in the promises God makes to us in the Bible. And what we discover there is that we are not alone that God never abandons his people, that he is always faithful to his people, and that our lives, no matter how small and hard they may seem, they are in fact a crucial part of a larger and more beautiful story, a divinely inspired story unfolding in history, the story of Christ's beloved community bringing heaven to earth. We are, you see, just the latest cast of blessed characters in helping the risen Christ to reform, rebuild, and restore the kingdom of love that is the Father's greatest desire for this broken world of ours. May God bless us in this holy task keeping us strong in the faith, secure in love, and unwavering in hope. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved. <laughs>